I'm Joni. Uh, wait, we ask that you keep your focus on your recovery in the 12-step program uh, Overeaters Anonymous and qualify until uh, 9.15, and then I'll get a five-minute warning. Okay. I'm Joni, compulsive overeater. Um, I am not 40 pounds, so I don't like standing in front of you. I'd rather stand behind the desk like that hides me. Still, I mean, I've been in programs since 1988. Um, I'm so grateful to be able to be abstinent and therefore be able to be of service by being in front of you and by sharing my story, my experience, strength, and hope. That's all I've got. So, um, you know, if you hear something great, if you don't, you know, wait for the next speaker. Um, uh, I, I, I identify usually with something that somebody says. It's great to see you. Um, I was speaking at a meeting in the Valley, and, and um, anyway, so I ended up here. And I was told to suit up and show up early on in program. Um, so I'm wearing my pearls because you can't, you know. <laughs> I, think they're, I think they're real. Um, and I, I came into program. I'll start from the very beginning um, in 1988. And I came in six months before I got married. And I came in because I didn't want to get married in a giant white dress because, you know, pictures are forever. You know, you, the wedding pictures especially, you spend a lot of money on those. So I wanted to, what happened was, I'm, well, actually, let's go all the way back. Let's go back to four. Because <laughs> i got 25 minutes. Um, I remember being four years old and, 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 and throwing a huge tantrum about food. Still, I mean, I'm, I'm not, you know, that was a long time ago. And I, it was a huge tantrum, and my mom said, well, have an apple. I'm like, I don't want an apple. You know, I want a loaf of bread. I was four, and, it, and dinner was in 15 minutes, but I don't think I could wait that long. So um, that was my first memory. And then I remember kids saying, you know, fatty, fatty, two by four, can't get through the kitchen door. I wasn't even fat. I look back at pictures then, and I wasn't, I mean, I fulfilled that prophecy eventually, but I wasn't that fat. But the thing was, I lived in an in a unsafe, alcoholic home, and there are compulsive eaters who come here and they came from fabulous families who cooked fabulous meals. It doesn't matter. But my story is I had two alcoholic parents. My dad looked like a Ken doll. My mother looked like um, oh, the one that was in National Velvet. Elizabeth Taylor. She looked like freaking Elizabeth Taylor. No wonder I couldn't remember that. Um, my older sister looked like Raquel Welsh. And I looked like a Cabbage Patch doll. And I felt like I didn't, you know, fit into the family from way on. And my little sister, too. Luckily, she and I were a year apart and we looked a lot alike. Um, but I remember having feelings of not belonging to my own family. And then the, the flip side of that was I really thought it wasn't my own family and I was a princess. And I was dropped down, you know, into this ordinary average family. Um, so my parents were, they drank a lot. And my mother, um, she was the compulsive overeater. And she dieted. From early on, all I remember is, you know, her focus on her looks, how she looked, how much she weighed. There was a scale there. She was constantly dieting, and she enrolled my older sister in this whole diet thing, who was beautiful. They were beautiful, beautiful women. I can look back and see that. I can't see myself. I can never, like, I can, I can look at your life and go, well, you know, X, Y, Z, and you can look at mine, but I can't, I'm in the blender. So anyway, I'm looking at these women, even as a small child, I'm thinking, they're so pretty, though. You know, and they have, uh, they have shape. And I'm nine going, I want that. And, um, and so I, I decided early on that I was, I, I was going to be funny. 
so I could fit in. That was, that was my coping mechanism. And we moved. We moved a lot. We moved from Ohio to California to Ohio to California to Arizona to Ohio to, and then, and then to California. And that was a trip. Um, so I became a chameleon. I became who you wanted me to be. I must have had, uh, I know I had 16 different schools by the time I was 21 and 21 different houses or homes or apartments or whatever you want to call them. And so I didn't have, uh, you know, attachments to people because back then we didn't have social media. You know, we, when we moved, my mom had a paranoid disorder, which I didn't know until I was 41 years old. Um, when we moved, she just cut off contact with everybody. And I thought that was normal. You just cut off contact. I didn't even know my relatives. She didn't, she didn't want anybody in so she could see, they could see the disease in our family. <clears throat> that was, and then, so, so around, the, uh, let's see, I was probably about, well, I'll give you a couple examples of being a compulsive eater as a kid. My mother threatened to take all of us into the doctor to x-ray us because the cookies were all gone. So <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, my God, the cookies must go back together in your stomach. So there's like this little you know, thing of round circles in my stomach. I'm like, OK, I did it. And then um, that was eight. And at 10, she would buy. And I was very I was very disappointed if she bought hollow chocolate bunnies for Easter I mean it just ruined the entire holiday for me so one day she one Easter she bought the, the solid chocolate bunnies and we had flown to North Carolina to see my dad and I blew through that bunny and then uh, <laughs> I hear my, my sister going my bunny somebody's eating and I'm like I didn't do it now, I'm the only other kid there one and two I have a gap between my teeth right at that age and so on the bunny there are these <laughs> grooves I'm like no no I didn't I'm a liar you know I'm an addict and a liar my addiction is to food my addiction is to what food does for me you know because I want to I want to take me out man I don't want to feel a feeling I don't want to feel it give me you know food and I still just the other day my, my dog wanted to go left and I wanted him to go right and he was very adamant. He's 14 and a half years old and 100 pounds, and he's just going to do what he's going to do. And I can't tug on him because he'll fall over because he's got arthritis. So he gets his way a lot. I got into the house and I thought dinner was a good idea at 12 o'clock. <laughs> and I went, oh, wait, correlation, feeling. Literally, I mean, after all these years in program, my sponsor is working with me on a daily basis about feelings, identifying them, processing them, um, and warding them up. Like she said, you know, if something happens like this, and something intense happens, you're probably going to have a feeling. You may not identify it now, or you may not have it now, but you might want to make a phone call and say, I might be having a feeling soon. <laughs> that's, how, that's how retarded I am, you know, emotionally, with feelings. So let's go back to my... So at 13, I, was, I remember being 130 pounds and 13 years old, and um, which sounds really great for me now, but... Um, at that time, I was, you know, that, that tall, and I was so much bigger than all the other kids. And I was, and I was ashamed, and I was, um, I was depressed, and I was sad, and I was, you know, a lot of this stuff. And I didn't realize that that probably all came first, and then I ate, and then I got the extra problem, but then the focus is on the weight. The first diet I ever did was probably uh, 16 years old, like a real true diet. I lost the weight, and, and like I think a lot of people who diet for the first time, they think, well, that's it. Got it. 
And then I went back to all the other behaviors, like a pack of cookies and a half a gallon ice cream a day, and, and I gained the 40 pounds back, plus 10. That was my first plus 10. Um, oh, God, I had a really great thought that I wanted to say to you. It'll come back. So, uh, so that was my first time where, and I was mortified. I mean, I had, I, I, my, my mother's boyfriend said to me, well, that's how guys want you to look. And so my head said, well, what was wrong with me before? You know, and oh my God, and I better hide. And oh, and you know, whatever it is, feelings, feelings, happy, sad, joyous, whatever it is, feelings. I don't want to eat. I mean, you don't want to feel them, so I'm going to eat. So I've tried the pa- uh, cabbage soup diet. Uh, I've tried uh, dexedrine, which made me homicidal, like literally homicidal. So I thought, well, maybe I should, maybe I'd just rather be fat than in jail. And um, I tried the, the uh, HCG, the pregnant women's urine shots. And um, they have you eat this. I was like 20. I, I was waitressing and going to, to college, and I, I was spending all my money on this diet. And they were having me do 500 calories a day, of course, and lose weight at 500 calories a day. And it was the first time I ever tried to be bulimic, too, because I, was, I had gotten into that black and white, all or nothing thinking. And I ate strawberries and I tried to get rid of them and I couldn't do it. I, well, OK, then I just need to be a compulsive overeater. Later on, I realized. Um, and I've tried. Oh, my gosh, I've tried all the diets. Oh, Weight Watchers. I even tried Weight Watchers, which, you know, is awesome for some people. But for me, the 23 points I'll do in chocolate before 9 a.m. It's just that's me. I I can't. There are certain foods I can't. So what happened was around the age of 22, uh, uh, exactly the age of 22, my father died. He passed away. I became the conservator. It was a very adult thing. I got some money. Not a lot. Um, Seemed like a lot at the time. Blew through that, you know, because this disease can, can manifest in many ways. It can, it's like that whack-a-mole thing, you know. If, if, I, if I'm dieting, then I'm drinking more. If I'm, drinking, if I'm not drinking and I'm not dieting, then I'm spending more. Then if I don't have a spiritual program, if I don't have a spiritual path, because that, that way, I'd, I mean, I, I get high shopping, you know. I get high eating chocolate. I get high drinking or doing a drug. So at 22, everything, that was the life event that uh, accelerated my disease, and it was, it was coming out in alcohol and, and drugs a lot at that point. And I say this, I know it's an Overeaters Anonymous meeting, but this is how I got into Overeaters Anonymous. This is the back door. And I mean, my food was my drug of choice from the get-go, because that's what I had available. And it, it has always been my drug of choice. But I got sober because my mother got sober at 17. And she said, you know, if one parent is an alcoholic, you have 50% chance that two parents are, then, you know, I'll just save you a seat, honey. So, so I hadn't even started drinking yet. So I thought, well, hell, I better go out and, and drink a lot because if I'm going to have to be sober, I want to like earn my stripes, you know. So I did. I really, really, really did. And um, also, whenever I was on diet, the minute I had a glass of wine, that diet went out the window. You know, well, hell, I'll start tomorrow. It's always a, you know, last supper and I'll start tomorrow. Last supper, I'll start tomorrow. And it always made me feel better to say, well, this is the last time and I'll start tomorrow. And then, and then the same thing would happen the next day. So, um, so I was able to control it down to a point where I actually attracted uh, a nice man into my life. And, um, well, I'll tell you the story. I attracted two nice men into my life. And they both asked me to marry them on the same day. Which, for an alcoholic and a compulsive overeater, I'm like, yes! 
I'm a princess. Look at me. And one was an attorney, and one was a nice Jewish doctor, and one was a philanderer, and one was a very integrous person, and one was going to, you know, end up breaking my heart, and the other one was going to love me forever. And I wanted that one. I wanted the one that was going to kill me. You know, spiritually. And I made a list. He had five good things on it. He had 50 good things on it. And, and the 50 good things guy says to me, take 90 days. I need you to just go back to him. You know, and then after the 90 days, call me and let me know what you decide. Because I was all over the place. And so, and so I, I did. I went back and I, I saw that he was still the same person. He was still doing the same things. And, and because I didn't have any boundaries, I didn't have any self-worth, I didn't have any, you know... I would have gone, gotten lost and, and spiritually died in that relationship. And because I was um, sober three years at that point, and I had a sponsor, I was able to work through this. And I chose the nice man, whom I'm still married to after 25 years. Wow. Um, yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's a really nice man living with me. Um, so I said to my friend in AA, you lost 10 pounds. How did you do that? She said, Overeem is anonymous. I'm like, God, that is not what I wanted you to say. <laughs> I want a pill. I want a fix. I want a yesterday. I'm done. And then, then I, it's fixed. I never have to. I could be normal for the rest of my life. And I, but because I had gone into an OA meeting when I was 19 years old, and there were four middle-aged women <laughs> in moo-moos, and I, I didn't relate. I went, no, this is, I'm really not. This is, uh, uh, uh. So now this is beautiful, blonde, blue-eyed. Uh, she was my sister. We had the same sponsor. And, she, and I went, okay, fine, I'll go with you. And I, went, I came into these rooms, and I went, oh, my gosh, I'm home. I'm home. This thing I had resisted, this thing that I had, you know, didn't want to be, once I finally said, I am, I am a compulsive overeater. And I looked at you guys and you said, there is a solution. I went, okay, I can do this. And it was three days before Thanksgiving. It was the first abstinent Thanksgiving I'd ever had in my life. It was the first time I tasted food. Actually, it was the first time I tasted food on a daily basis. And I can't remember when I actually tasted because I was hungry in between. I had, my abstinence is three meals a day, nothing in between with one snack. And so... The in-between, I would get hungry by the time the next meal came, though I thought I was going to die before I got there. And then I would taste the food. It was like magical food. And then I learned in these rooms that not all food comes through a small window (laughs) on the corner of a block somewhere with fries on the side. I learned in these rooms that there's stuff that grows out of the ground and nurtures one's body and doesn't interfere with one's thinking. Like sugar, white flour, fried foods, anything like this where my, my elbow bends and, and it has a crinkly bag, not good for me. Um, but my abstinence is three meals a day and a snack. My food plan, I stay away from the things I just mentioned because those trigger the craving in the body. And if, if, you, haven't, if you haven't delved into the um, big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I highly recommend it Um, and just substitute the word alcohol for food because it talks about how the disease centers in the mind. It talks about how this is, um, and they only dedicate one chapter to the body, you know, the doctor's opinion, and, and, and it talks about that allergy and that trigger. 
Um, and then it gives you a really fine definition of what a compulsive overeater is. Just substitute the words. And then it gives you a solution. Um, the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, which were adopted by Roseanne back in like 1959. I was born the next year. So, um, oh, I just gave my age away. Who cares? <laughs> Nobody cares but me. So, um, so if you haven't gotten into the literature, do it. And, and I'm sober 30 years now. And, and when I, okay, so I got abstinent. And at three and a half years of absence, I looked up at my sponsor and realized she was eating frozen yogurt. I went, I didn't know I could do that. And I took it back. I went, okay, I'm going right there. I didn't ask her. I didn't talk to God. I didn't bring it to a meeting. I didn't write about it. I didn't, I did it. It's an I, 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 me, I, 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 I. And this is a we, we, we program. And, you know, it says we of Alcoholics Anonymous or we of Oreos Anonymous, we. So, um... My downfall, and this is the cautionary tale part of me, is that I think I've got this. Like the, the drunk on the stool, the, the little old lady drunk on the stool. I got this. That's okay. I can, I can do it. That's me in my head. I've got this. The minute I, you know, I dropped all the way, I had the guy. Um, I had the marriage. I had, I, then I got pregnant. And I didn't want to get fat in these rooms. So you can hear, if you've been in these rooms, you can hear the character defect there, you know, that ego. Um, and so I had to come back and get absent again. Then I got pregnant again. Then I got absent again. And then um, midlife, there, your body changes. Hormones change. I had, um, I had a million different things happen. I had people die. I had injuries happen. Broke my arm, you know, I don't just ride a horse around in a little circle. I decide I'm going to be an endurance rider. I've never ridden a horse in my life at 46 years old. And I'm doing 25 mile rides through the woods, underneath the branches, around the corners. And, you know, one day I flew off. Big surprise. Tore up my leg. But I stayed abstinent. And then my sister turned up my sister. Um, it was a, a year long of, of 5150s. And saving her life and again and again and finally I became her conservator and then a dear friend in program died and then three people in my family died this is all in a six-month period and I didn't because I had that thing I got this you know I didn't have the foundation where I walked into the middle of the room and said I need you I need your help. I need you to hold my hand. I need you to talk to me. I need you to, you know, bring me in off the ledge. Instead, I had two children and a business and all of these things, all these plates I was spinning. I was spinning. You know, there was no God in there. And so eventually, yeah, I totally lost my abstinence. I put on a hundred pounds in a year, which to some of you is like, yeah, totally. I get that. And some of you, know, you might go, wow, you know, you might come in and you only have 10 pounds to lose, but you have that shame and that sadness about it it doesn't matter what the number is but but what matters to me is this what happened was i couldn't get back i couldn't get back and i always had that arrogance that you know because i hear people say i don't think i have another abstinence in me i'm like yeah 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 i'm special i'm the exception i'm di- like for example right before i got abstinent no 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 it was it was 
Yes, right around the time I got abstinent, I would park my car in a red zone, thinking that I'm the exception. And the meter maid would come out and write me a ticket. And I'd start screaming at her. This is a sober person. Screaming at her. And she starts to shake as she's like writing this thing out. It's before the electronic stuff. So she, and I'm thinking, don't they train her for people like me? You know? <laughs> I, I had that thought. You know, I had that, that anger underneath where I would slam coverage to the place where they would, you know, break off the hinges. And before my husband would get home, I'd have to, like use a staple gun and duct tape and then paint over it so he wouldn't know that I'm a crazy person. And after I had my kids, he'd like stick his head in and go, who is she today? If I'm abstinent, he doesn't have to do that. And I don't know why he's stuck by me all these years. I don't. Um, but if I'm absent, I'm even keel. I am happy more often than not. I'm present. And my, um, I'm getting ahead of myself now, but my daughter likes to do a meditation thing. Mama, it's a goddess session time. And I drop everything, and I go with her, and we do a goddess session. That's what we call it. If I was eating, I'd be like, yeah, go do it yourself. You know, I haven't finished this box yet. Um, I forget where I was. So, yes, I do remember where I was. So I didn't know if I'd ever get back. I really didn't know. And I thought, oh, my God, what if this is it? What if this is, you know, I'm down about, you know, 45 pounds or whatever, but let's imagine an extra bat. And I it wasn't working out, so, and I couldn't get off the ground. I, literally, if I got on the ground, I had to pull myself up on furniture. I couldn't, um, my, I couldn't bathe properly. I mean, there were so many things that I couldn't do, at the, and I thought, oh my God, what if this is it? And I thought, and I prayed, and I thought, uh-oh. I have to learn to love myself exactly as I am right now, which I had never done. I don't care how fat I was, how thin I was, because when I got thin, I knew that as soon as I got thin, I was going to be great. As soon as I got thin and lost all that weight, I was going to be happy. And life was going to be fabulous, and the red carpet was going to come out, and the ticker tape parade was going to happen. And it didn't. That's five more? No. I'm done? No! Okay. Okay, really fast. What changed my life <laughs> is this big book workshop I did for 10 months. Blew me away. Blew me away. Every word, every line, every, and the woman had me start one. So I had like three of them going simultaneously. And it was, I had never learned the big book and the literature like that before. I had never seen, truly believed, got in my gut and my core and my DNA that I'm a compulsive overeater and that this is the solution. You know? So I am, I'm thrilled. I, I'm abstinent. You know, I am present. I can't believe I talked that long. Um, and I'm really grateful to be here. I'm looking forward to your questions. Uh, this is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you share, uh, need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself uh, if being recorded, it said, please, which it is. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Um, if being recorded, please restate the question after it's asked. Okay. All right. Who wants to ask a question? My favorite part. 
high frustration. So you talked about the big book workshops being a big, making big difference, and I've heard of these workshops, I've never taken one. Yeah. Okay. The the question is um is about the the twelve the big book workshop. What's it like? What's it look like? Um, it's it's almost a year long. It's ten months long. You go once a week for an hour and a half. You take your uh, you have to buy a brand new giant big book and highlighters and pens and you go and the leader uh, which would be uh, you know, whoever's running this thing, they're going off of what they what they did in their workshop. So it's not it, like if I were to run it, it's not any new information for me. It's it's this is the book, and we go through line by line. We go through the history. We have handouts, and then when it comes to working the steps, we work the steps. Like I have never worked. I have never done a fourth and fifth like that in my life, and I've been here three decades. So. Um, and I ended up doing one of the most powerful nine steps in my life. It changed, it, it transformed my relationship with my recalcitrant daughter, who was 19 at the time. And we had had a really difficult struggle um, as mother and daughter. And it changed everything. And then the tenth step, they go through that, exactly how you do that. Um, and then, you know, all the way through the, 12, the, the first 165 pages, basically. And just, they just make it really, really clear what the solution is and then help you work through it in that 10 month period and if you have to miss one then you, you make it up with somebody like seek the information from another person but you can't miss more than two because there's just too much information yeah, yeah. so um, you said that basically if this was it this is when I have to love myself yes how did that affect your abstinence it got me abstinent it got me abstinent it actually got me I, I the, the big book workshop was a last ditch effort because I couldn't get abstinent. I couldn't get abstinent. I couldn't get abstinent. I couldn't surrender. I didn't because I done. I had done it all so many times. I thought, what you know, what else is there in here? Um. So so I came to. I have to love myself exactly as I am. Now, am I going to stay? At, you know, two fifty? No. I'm going to get abstinent at all costs. I'm I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to spend, I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to get abstinent is what I decided. But I was going to love myself in that moment. And so at 2.30, I know it's 2.26, I went zip lining in Hawaii. I went I, uh, swimming with the dolphins. I went jet skiing as a big woman. But I wasn't going to wait because I, I always did that. When I'm thin, I'll put a bathing suit on. And I, so I bought some board shorts and they had to weigh you before I got on the zip line. I did it. I decided to live life and love myself no matter what in that moment, however that looks. Because it was always, I, I can only love myself if I'm pretty, if I'm thin, if I think you love me and think I'm pretty, then I'm going to love me. It was always that outside thing. So it had to be an inside job, as they say. It had to be a God thing, a spiritual thing. Yeah? Okay. Thanks, Joni. I'm, I'm uh, interested in uh, maybe more specifics of the, the ninth step with your recalcitrant. Oh, my goodness. Well, okay. Um... So, what the what the fourth and so the ninth step is built on the fourth and fifth step, which was so thorough. And what they do is they have the the sponsor who it's your sponsor who takes the fifth step, but then they have you give them direction. And they take a red pen and they tell you you know the character defects and all that stuff, and then that sends through. So so it's a very accountable place 
you get to in this workshop. Very clear what my part in it is. And even though my child, I wanted to punch her in the head, which I would never do, but I mean, it was a difficult, I had PTSD when she went off to college. It was a difficult four years. And part of that was because I was not abstinent, you know? Um, so the ninth step, she was in Europe and, and I said, I have to get to my big book workshop. And she said, well, what does that mean? I said, well, we're on the ninth step. She said, well, what does that mean? I said, well, it's an amends step. In fact, I owe you one. So I'll wait till you get back or I can email it. She goes, email it to me. She didn't know what she was asking. She had no idea. So apparently she was in Florence and she was leaning against this building and she was reading this thing and she just slid down to the floor and started sobbing because she never thought she'd hear that from me, you know. And, um, and then she, and then, <laughs> I don't necessarily recommend sending it in writing because then she showed it to all her friends. <laughs> So I had to reread it and see exactly what I said. But, um, but it wasn't groveling. It wasn't anything. It was very clean. It was very clear. And the friend said, God, I wish my mom would say something like that to me. But I had to, let, I had to set my arrogance and my ego and my self-righteousness and my, the character defects that have gotten in the way of my being absent are the same ones that get in the way of my being in a, a good relationship, a clean relationship. And somebody once said that having a relationship is like putting miracle Girl on your character defects. Hello, have teenagers, you know? Does that answer? Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Uh-huh. Thank you so much for your share. Thank you so much. Um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about uh, how you support your relationship in the middle of the pain and how did your relationship with the spiritual life, you know, affect that or not? Oh, yes. Okay, so how, what do I do when I'm in, in pain when I'm abstinent? After relapse? I mean, when Either or. Okay, well, when I'm, in, when I'm in relapse, how I deal with it is I'll eat your shoe and your head and your closet doorknob, okay? And then when I'm... Okay. <laughs> yes, when you're in pain, but you're abstinent, and those feelings are really raw. Um, the tools are really, really important. And for me, I had to surrender that I'm, some of us are sicker than others. Okay, some of us need more help than others. So, and I, I went to somebody and they said, well, you think I'm, you know, like this by myself? He said, I've got a team, a team of people. So he's got an acupuncturist and a therapist and this and that. So he puts together a team. Now, more specifically to your question, what I do in program is um, I, I, sort of, I sort of preemptively know that if I'm going to be doing a certain event where I know feelings are going to come up, then I need to talk to my sponsor before and after. I text people. That's a big one. I love texting. I'll just say, okay, I'm having a feeling and I want to eat a box of cookies. And they go, ha, 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 and I feel better. You know? Um, calling people actually really, really helps. But having, like for me, what had to happen, I had to be very strict. I, have to, I give my food to my sponsor the night before. It has to be before my food is eaten, and I've never done that before in my life. I have to be, a, give a gratitude list. This is my 10th step, basically, during the day. 10th step every day, gratitude. And then whatever comes up, I, I go through it, like I've got a resentment or something. So I kind of set myself up to win for the day. So I'm kind of clean going in. So if something new comes up, and I have a feeling which happens every day. It's like the, the dog going left and going right. I went, oh my God. Feeling, wanting to eat, not going to do it, text somebody. Whatever it is. And then my meals were bigger at night, and I said, I just don't know how to not do that. And so I started texting her before and after the meal, voluntarily. 
because I, I, it's like, I don't want to do it. You want, eh, eh. Well, that's my disease. My disease wants me dead. Remember that. My disease wants me dead. It wants me out of the game. It doesn't want me to connect to you. I mean, that, that energy, that's love. That's power. That's wow. But, you know, box of donuts, the energy stops here. The tools. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about your practice in the 11th step and how when you need and have your inspiration to make a decision and it's really wrong for you? Have you ever done that? Like, even though we pray, and it's like it says it in the other way in Psalm 12, that we have and have inspiration, right? We need and have inspiration. Right. Right. Okay. So the question is about the 11th step and what's the difference? Like, like how do I know if it's inspired in, in divine intuition, basically? Well, or, even, so even after yeah, we're going to make mistakes. We're human beings. I'm, I'm going to make mistakes. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, let's talk about the, the 11th step. Um, <clears throat> for me, meditation was hard because I'm one of those people that are like spinning the plates and like ta da ta ta da ta da ta. So I have to. Somebody once said that they use a, a stone. So I went to a place on Ventura and I got these little touchstones, these little meditation stones. Um, and then I started meditating with my daughter, and we l- literally lie there and we'll have the stones in our hand and we'll we start off with I'm grateful, I'm grateful, I'm grateful. She's 17. This is the younger one. <laughs> not the other one and I'm grateful we start off with that and then we do our own meditation but it's it's more about being grateful thanking and then praying on I don't know page 76 I think it is it's it's the fear prayer God please take my fear and let me be the person you want me to be I totally bastardized that but just take my fear and let me be who you want me that's a meditation for me and that's that's changed me in it just in a regular day so and then if it's that phrase when in doubt leave it out so if you have an intuition and it seems like it's a great one but it feels a little tweaked um, leave it out and then if you have an inspiration and it feels like a fabulous one run it by your sponsor run it by you know people in the program get a consensus if it's a really important decision and then if you still have you know if it still turns out badly then you write your tenth step you know, I'm resentful at, whether it's you or the person or what have you. Um, you know, it affects my pocketbook, my ambitions, my sex relations, my religion. There's, they list it out in the book. Um, my part in it. And then my character defects. And then when I get to the character defects, that's what I can change. So that the next time that, that question, that decision comes up and you want that intuition, maybe the character defects won't get in the way. It's all a process. That's what I would do. Thank you, Julie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talked before that you were practicing this program as an I program. How do you practice it as a we program today? Uh, oh, that's a great question. How do I practice the program as a we program as opposed to I, I, I? Um, I, I texting is a great contact throughout the day for me and I speak to people on the phone I have on Friday morning I meet with my my dear friend Sherry I'm known for I was her first sponsor 20 something years ago Um, we meet every Friday and we do um, tea tea together we go to a meeting and we do tea that's you know we Um, I have I have people that I know are new in the program and I pick up the phone and I just call them that makes it a we 
you know, and I'm not, it's just, hi, how are you? How's your day? Um, we, I show up and I speak. We, I ask my sponsor, is it okay if I speak? Because before it'd be like, yeah, I'll speak every day because I'm fabulous. <laughs> and then I'll lose my abstinence in five minutes because I think I'm fabulous. So I'm just one of many. You know, I really, really, I'm so humbled to have this abstinence. I am so grateful to have this abstinence. I, we, I can't do it without you guys. I really get it. And I get that I'm a compulsive eater. I spent my whole life trying to be a normal person, look like a normal person, act like a normal person, marry a normal man, have a, you know what I mean? Yes, in the back. Talk about how I sponsor. Right. Um, I have to be very careful about sponsoring um, too many people. So um, uh, how I sponsor is the way I'm sponsored. I never give my, my sponsees anything more, than, you know, anything different than what I do. Um, depending on how many years they have in the program, what their needs are, that kind of thing. I have uh, people with years and years and years and years and years and years and they just send gratitude lists and then if something comes up, they read their 10th step. Um, so I ask them to do what I do. And now I do a lot, so not a lot of people want me to sponsor them. Because <laughs> I'm going to make them work. It's the only thing I know now, you know. I'm actually not allowed to sponsor right now as per my sponsor. Because that's what I do. I take on the world. I'm, I'm mentoring um, a couple of children who lost their, their mother. And this, you guys are, like, parenting these children with me. And they don't even know it. And then I have my own children. And then I have my business. So, I, so I'm, right now I have a couple of sponsors in, in the other program. But she, she said, I need to wait. So I'm listening to my sponsor. Um, but I end up, you know, falling in love with people. So, that's it. Anyone else? Yes, in the back. What was your connection with God before program? <laughs> what was my connection to God before program? My mother's mother was a minister. So, and at one of those holy roller high, you know, no lipstick, no dancing, no, and a complete hypocrite. And she abused my mother with religion, and then my mother in turn turned around, and so my experience with religion was I was confusing with God. So um, I wasn't real good at it. I was one of those agnostics. I was one of those people coming in going, and my sponsor said, look, make the pillar in the room, the the drug and alcohol center on um, Santa Monica, on the second floor, you said a pillar. She said, make that your higher power. I don't care. You know, just make something outside of you the higher power. Because, I, because of my chaotic life, you know, growing up, control was a big deal to me. Constantly controlling everything. I'm going to control this. I'm going to control that. I'm going to control you. I'm going to control them. I'm going to control. And I didn't even know I was doing it until I did my first sixth step. And I thought, how do I have any friends? You know, I, I had that conscious thought. How, do, how does anybody like me? I mean, so, um, yeah, that's it. Oh, no, that's not it. So now, <laughs> I'm like, what was the question? I don't want to know. I forgot the question already. Um, my conscious contact with God. God is, is um, everything. And in the big book, it says either God is everything or he's nothing. So I have to say that God is everything. My conscious con- I mean, I know that being abstinent means I have a chance to have that connection. So he is in my life. She, God is, whatever, you know, 
whatever I'm comfortable with that day. But it was a very, very long process. I just know that it's not. God's not me. That's it. Is that it? Yes. Okay.